My dad died. I miss my friends because of... I don't know how to tell my friends that. I want to help my friends. I don't know how. The pandemic has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my classroom? My uncle abused me. The morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is the morning meeting. Hi, I'm Mandy Zucker, host of the morning meeting. Today I have two really special guests, Joyelle Mulheron and Mairead Peters. Joyelle is the founder of Evermore. It's a nonprofit dedicated to making the world a more livable place for bereaved families by raising awareness of the consequences of loss, advancing research, and advocating on behalf of bereaved families and the frontline professionals who serve those families in the aftermath. Um, We're going to talk a lot about her advocacy today in Washington and how you can be a part of that as well. Maraid is the program coordinator for the Cove Center for Grieving Children in Connecticut. Um, She went to the University of South Carolina, where she graduated with a degree in social work and Spanish. And she really, she actually decided to work at the Cove because of her experience of a lot of loss um, in just 20 years of her young life. Um, And we talk a little bit about how the policies on a college campus can be supportive or not for college students. So I'm excited to share their interview with you today. I'm so excited today to have Joyelle Melheron and Mairead Peters on the show today. Thank you both for coming on and talking about a very important topic. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Joyelle, why don't we start with you? Why don't you tell us a little bit about Evermore and the work that you're doing over there as far as bereavement policy goes? Yeah, thank you. Um, So Evermore is a nonprofit dedicated to making the world a more livable place for bereaved families. We We don't provide therapy. We don't provide support groups like most in the United States, but we're really focused on advancing policy protections programs and investments from the federal or national level um, into bereavement and how do we support families in the aftermath. And so there is an enormous amount of time and energy in the last couple of years that we focused on federal advocacy and advancing protections and attention to this as a national public and social health crisis um, for families across the United States so big and scary. I'm not a policy person. So just hearing you say all of that, thank God for people like you, because it's so- Oh no, I I feel the same way. Sometimes I get out of bed thinking, how did I get here? But at the same time, it's so necessary to have someone here fighting the fight because what is often unattended to or people, it's hiding in plain sight is our nation is facing multiple concurrent mortality crises right now from COVID-19, overdose, homicide, suicide, maternal mortality, impending disasters from climate change. This is a very real issue and touching too many families and particularly the unexpected death of a loved one. And, And death is always unexpected, but when it happens and you get that phone call, the changes that begin to unfold in an individual's life are enormous and significant. And there really should be greater attention and investment from our nation's leadership and lawmakers into the issue. 
I know that there's been some disappointing news lately on the policy front, but tell us what are you trying to do and where are you at in that process? Yeah, well, we're doing a couple of different things. And so um, you're right, we did get some disappointing news recently. So we've been fighting for paid bereavement leave at the federal level. And President Biden was receptive to that. And he included that in his American Families Plan. But when the volleying back and forth between the House and the Senate started taking place recently, um, Speaker Pelosi ended up removing paid bereavement leave from, um, from the social spending package that they're working on today. And so that was really disappointing, of course. Um, we're working hard behind the scenes to try to understand why did this come out? Um, this isn't a controversial um, provision and it's not a cost driver. It's really about protecting families in their most vulnerable times. Um, but we've had some initial progress on two other areas. Um, one is around CDC beginning to measure bereavement for the first time among working age adults. And so there's some legislation pending on this that we've actually attached that to the US budget, which is one of the only bills Congress has to pass. And then there's another provision in that same um, budget bill that would make bereavement a priority for the Office of the Secretary of Health and Human Services. So the number one person in charge of health in the United States. And so that is also pending in legislation right now. So, you know, yes, we've had some disappointing news on paid bereavement leave. The fight is definitely not over. And we've made some forward progress around CDC and placing, you know, potentially placing bereavement as a priority with our most senior health official for the United States. So let me just ask, what does that mean? So that bereavement would be a priority. What does that do for bereaved people? You know, it's just like when you go to work and the big boss has a priority around whatever it might be. Everyone in the organization begins to understand the big boss says, we all got to do this, like whether we like it or not. And so um, through working with Congress, we have tentatively have this provision placed in law that bereavement would become a big priority for the number one health official for the United States. And what that means is all the other federal health agencies that report in to that senior leadership, they all have to start thinking about how does bereavement show up? How does it show up for CDC? How does it show up in community health systems? How does it show up in American Indian communities? How is it showing up in our insurance products and in our health insurance systems? And so it becomes um, one issue that then begins to blanket a number of different federal agencies and priorities and missions where we believe they should be looking across the gamut and the spectrum that, um, that bereavement is indeed that important at a time particularly coming out of the pandemic. I want to talk a little bit about the bereavement leave policy that has been taken out of consideration for the moment. And Mairead, I'm going to ask you a little bit about how that, why that's an important issue for you. But what were you hoping for? And tell us, what does it mean that we're not getting it for the average American? And, you know, everyone dies. So we're all affected by bereavement at some point. So what does it mean that we don't have a paid bereavement policy. So right now it is 
perfectly legal at a federal level to be fired for not showing up the next day after your loved one has died. There are very narrow exceptions in a few states and a few localities. And so what we, what we propose doing is, is actually two things worth noting. One, providing employment protection in the immediate aftermath so that if indeed your child or your sibling, for example, dies and you have to go identify the body, you cannot be fired the next day for going to identify the body and not showing up to work. Um, and that's a pretty substantial gap. The second piece of, of what we were working for were three days of wage protections. So it's not just that you can't be fired, but it's that you actually retain some level of pay in the aftermath. The other, the other important, one other important nuance just to know, we were, we've also been working in this has stayed within the revision that is currently sitting in this in this Congress that we are redefining who is a significant relationship for an individual person. So it's no longer limited to an immediate family member, but it could include, for example, a domestic partner, a grandparent or a grandchild or any other individual who's related by blood or has some affinity or association with an employee so that, you know, as we all know, sometimes the people who are closest to you may not be direct family members. And so we are, we have been able to reframe this as a policy issue for employment, for wage, and for who should be included. Unbelievable to me to think that you can have a job, somebody can die, and you tell your boss that you need to go to the funeral and they say, sorry, I'm going to let you go if you don't come to work tomorrow. Is that, does that happen regularly? So I'll tell you, um, these things get really sticky very quickly. A lot of people have very different experiences. I would say the vast majority of managers try to do the best they can, but there's not usually clear guidance for managers on this. And that's something that we're working towards as well, not legislatively, but directly with businesses um, to help them understand how to support an individual or family. At the same time, from the employee perspective, when they're telling their story, a lot of people feel a fear for defamation. And obviously they have their perspective and the employer has their perspective. So it begins to be a sticky wicket pretty quickly. You know, in fact, just before coming onto this call, I was talking to some small business groups who were, you know, exceedingly supportive of this. And I think that that is an attitude I want to believe most, uh, most managers have because they know, particularly even at the small business, uh, at the small business level, it's like family. We all work together. And at the end of the day, you really need your colleagues and your family to show up for you when these event, these types of life events happen. Everywhere I've ever worked has had a policy that's, you know, it sounds like the minimum that you were hoping for, like a three-day policy. I don't know who came up with that number as if that's even enough time, but Okay, so I think there is a minimum, at least in the, you know, jobs that I've had. But I think about college students who may have a job at, you know, retail, McDonald's, minimum wage kind of jobs. And I wonder if those jobs are, if those employees are more at risk than 
say somebody like me who has a master's degree and works in a, you know, a larger business or something and how devastating it could be for them to lose a job that maybe is paying for their education or housing. Mandy, you are so on point. This work is not about protecting the executive, the banking executive. When we look at what's called the Bureau of Labor Statistics, it's a group that keeps data on these kinds of things as it relates to employees. You'll note that it is indeed the low wage employers or employees who do not have access to bereavement leave or paid bereavement leave. And that when you look at the highest level of our wage earners, the majority of those individuals have this benefit. And so this just creates an additional system of hardship and indeed discrimination against lower income individuals in the United States. And this is the type of thing that needs to change and and exactly what we're fighting for. Which is going to bring me to you, Maraid. Tell us a little bit about your experience um, as a young person working after you've experienced some pretty significant losses of your own. Yeah, so I'll just start. I mean, through the conversation with Joyelle, a lot of things came up. I mean, I am fortunate enough now to work for a bereavement organization. And when I first started, however, we did not have bereavement leave, which is pretty ironic considering that's the entire basis of our mission. But I did when I was in college, I had um, a job at a restaurant and I was definitely using that money to help me, you know, with groceries and things like that, that my family kind of had me supporting myself in that way. And I was fortunate that, that I had employers that were understanding of that, but at the same time, there was a lot of pressure, you know, they understood, okay, you have to, because I went to school in South Carolina, like, okay, you have to fly home. But, you know, the expectation was when you get back from this funeral, like, are you able to pick up shifts next week? So, you know, I think that pressure, it's sort of just the unfortunate way that our society works is that, you know, we're just expected to jump right back in. But in working with grief, I've learned and through my own personal experiences, there is no like set timeline. So, you know, that's what drew me to Evermore because I just think there has to be more people than just myself who have experienced profound loss and could really benefit from this. So, you know, that's what interests me so much about Evermore. I know that, you know, in this original policy, bereavement leave at school was not part of that, but Maraid, if you would talk to us a little bit about, you know, the loss that you experienced when you were in college and what kind of support was available or not available, you know, through school, because that's another, you know, it's another area that's so important to be able to support students, um, which, you know, oftentimes college is their job and they don't get that time off either. So I wonder what your experience was like. Yeah, sure. So um, I will say, you know, growing up, or when I was much younger and my oldest brother died, I unfortunately wasn't aware of the organization that I now work for because it's where I grew up and it would have been really beneficial. So I think just like, you know, the lack of knowledge, um, which will lead me into talking about college. Um, When I was a junior in college, my cousin died unexpectedly and she was also attending the same university as I was. And that was a huge shock. And it was right at the start of the school year. So I had 
you know, the difficult decision to try and figure out, okay, am I just going to, you know, keep going through this? And I think in, in college, it's especially difficult because you have all different professors and you kind of have to be your own advocate, you know, so if you need the help, you have to go and find it yourself. Whereas in elementary or high school, you would hope that, you know, a teacher would know or so it's much different in college. And then my, uh, the spring semester of my junior year, actually right after the semester ended, my dad died unexpectedly by suicide. And that was a lot to grapple with. I had the entire summer before going into my senior year and again, had to decide essentially whether I wanted to to go back to school and finish or take the time off. And for me personally, I felt that it was important that I keep going and keep myself busy but I know that grief is incredibly unique. So for a lot of people that wouldn't, wouldn't have been an option. And so again, it was just like, I had to be my own self advocate and try and search for other people like me. And there weren't really any groups offered at my, at my college. And so I kind of just had to rely on my own friends and own support group, which I was fortunate enough to have. But a lot of people don't have that that fortune and or even for people going to school remotely now or a community college or something, you know, it's it's a lot more challenging to find those resources. And I went to a big school and the fact that they didn't have some type of support group already in place was was pretty shocking to me. Rael, you mentioned that or you uh, let me know that um, you're preparing to launch a university based initiative for students. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I, I mean, one of the things, there are many things about this issue that keep me up at night. And while we were working really hard on Capitol Hill to codify, you know, bereavement leave for working age adults, as you and Marae so clearly demonstrated, doesn't apply to, um, to students um, in university settings. And so um We are just in our initial phases now of bringing on a team who is going to begin working on creating a social paradigm shift or a social threshold around what should bereavement leave look like among university settings and for students. Because, you know, Mairead is, she's so eloquent and she's so well-spoken about this, yet, you know, receiving, I can't imagine being in her sneakers and receiving the news that your parent has died. And now you need to go walk around to all your university professors and broker a negotiation on when you're test taking on this and on someone else will negotiate more days and then less days here or no days here. That is such an enormous amount of undue stress that we are placing on students at such a, at, at such a sensitive time. Um, it is a complicated issue on sort of what's most appropriate, but universities are in the business of cultivating our future and investing in students. And this is just an extension on that investment. I know I'm an adjunct professor at a university locally, and I've had, I've had a few students who have had someone die And I've also had students who have um, a 504 plan. I don't know if everybody's familiar with that, but, you know, some kind of accommodations. And when I've received notice of those things, I've been told in the notice that I have the option whether or not I want to abide by some of the recommendations that are made. So each professor has this flexibility to say, 
yes, you can take some time off. Yes, I'm going to give you, you know, extra time on an assignment, or I'm going to grade this assignment differently for you. I, I try to be as flexible as I can, but I think about all of the students who have gone to, you know, their five other teachers and some of whom have said, no, you have to come to school tomorrow or that assignment I gave it to you a month ago. And uh, so it's still due. Um, and it's a real burden on many students. I also would like to add too to that point, like for me talking about it now, it's so far removed. So I, I honestly don't remember the stress that that happened and it was much more difficult than I'm than I'm putting on. But I was also really fortunate that I happened to be studying social work. And so all of my professors were coming from a social work background, which not to be biased, but are likely a lot more understanding than your accounting teacher or your physics teacher. Um, Not to say that those aren't humans, but within my college, you know, we really emphasize self-care and the burden of, of being in social work. And that was mental health was like utmost important within our schooling. And that was kind of embedded in our curriculum. But a lot of other majors, I, I would imagine, don't have that type of awareness um, within their program. I'm certainly I feel like I'm, I'm a bit more in tune with, you know, some of the concerns that some students may have around bereavement issues than perhaps other other professors maybe so so i am wondering what's next what are you working on and how can people help i mean you know as i said it's it affects all of us so it's an issue that I think there's been some bipartisan support for the issue um, for the policy that you're trying to create but what can people do now uh, you know to help this effort first let me say 100% there's been bipartisan support We have support from some of the most progressive Democratic lawmakers to some of the most conservative. And we had had some legislation, a provision go through the U.S. budget last year under the Trump administration. So at some level, everyone gets this um, issue. And so what can you do? Holy smokes, we need help. And the way we make social change in this country, it's hard but it's also so beautiful when it happens is using your voice um, to help make that change. And so whether you're interested in helping to advance you know, paid bereavement leave at a federal level, whether or not you're interested in the university-based initiatives and ensuring that students have some levels of protection um, in setting policies in the university setting, or if you have interest in ensuring that you know, bereaved children, for example, are receiving the the protections that they need at a young age or the policies that they need at a young age. These are all the types of work that we're doing right now. And we would love for people to join us because it does sound somewhat colloquial, but it is very true. Every voice matters. And so please visit our website at www.live-live evermore.org. We have a number of different places for you to engage on the site, but you can also just send us an email and and, and share what you're interested in and someone will reach out to you and have a conversation and have a conversation about your interests and also opportunities to just share your stories. We hear from so many people that um, it can be, you know, in a really hard day when you work so hard and you know, it doesn't quite go the way you want it to go. And then you receive emails from families or individuals who say, keep going because this would really have helped me. It's just, it's important for us to hear it, 
but it's also really important to add your voice into the work and into the movement. And they can reach you if they have questions on that Evermore site as well. Yep. I mean, there's lots of information. I'll say there's information. If you know someone who's recently or experienced a loss and have questions, there's resources on what you can do. If you're, let's say for a brief children, briefs, parents, children, siblings, and spouses. There's a nat- there's a national grief directory. So you can look at resources by state and refer people. There is um, information, statistics and research information, if that's what you're most interested in, as well as policy information on the website. Great. If people have questions for you, would like to know more about your experience or have specific questions about maybe things that you might've learned through your own journey that maybe they can find to be helpful as they're struggling right now. Is there a way for them to reach out to you as well? Yeah, absolutely. So um, first, I mean, unfortunately the organization I work for just serves Connecticut, but um, if you go to covect.org, you can look at some of the programs that we do and I do the coordinating of our program. So if anyone wants to learn more about what I do for work, or you can just email me directly. It's my first name, M-A-I-R-E-A-D at covect.org. And um, also just to add to what Joyal was saying with other resources, we have some resources on our website, but I also find um, for children's bereavement specifically, the National Alliance for Children's Grief, they just changed their name Um, has a ton of resources. And you can also look up centers or grief support by state, which is incredibly helpful. So no matter where you are, hopefully you can find the support you need. And especially, I mean, for me, I would love to connect with any any teens or young adults who um, are grieving. I actually wrote my, my senior thesis in college about going through grief as a young adult. And so I would love to share that with anyone interested and maybe one day we'll, we'll finish it and put it out into the world. But for anyone that would like it or just like to talk, I would be happy to do that. Thank you. Thank you both so much. I think this was really informative and I hope helpful for many people. And I hope people get involved in ways that maybe they hadn't thought about before. Thanks so much for having us, Mindy. Absolutely. Thank you. This was a pleasure. Join me next week when I speak with Melissa Lunardini. She's the founder and CEO of Radical Grief Consulting. It's an organization that enhances healthcare professionals and educators' understanding of the foundational aspects of childhood grief and loss. We're going to be talking a little bit about self-care and burnout, compassion, fatigue, People ask us both all the time, how do you do this? How do you do this work? So we're going to have an open and honest conversation about how we do it and what we do to make sure that we're taking good care of ourselves so that we can be there for others. Join us then. That's all for today. Good morning to all of you.